that are around that life just stinks for them all the time and they got this book well you know life's not going good for me well does it say life's supposed to go great for you but where in here does it say you're supposed to have the best furniture the biggest house the nicest job the coolest car the most wonderful obeying children the prettiest wife who works out every day prepares your meal sets it on your lap and you never gain weight where does it say that it doesn't Some Christians have a completely unrealistic expectation for what their life as a follower of Christ should look like. They think that Jesus is some sort of spiritual glue that will pull all of the brokenness of their lives together and make everything right. They quickly find themselves disappointed as they find the troubles of life still plaguing them long after salvation. As Pastor Mark reminds us in today's message, our relationship with Christ will not free us from trials. In fact, it will often bring more hardship. What it can bring us is deep, everlasting joy in the face of those trials and tribulations. Well, let's join Pastor Mark in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 14 with today's edition of Come Alive. Remember the illustration about the little girl and the cake? And somebody wanted some cake and the mom's like, here, eat some oil. Oh, that's gross. Have some raw eggs. Oh, that's gross. Well, you got to put all that stuff together. And what makes the cake? Heat. Heat. It kills off all the bad stuff. Anybody eating raw pork lately? My wife was reading something, she was freaking out. She's like, oh, raw pork, man. Some of those tapeworm larvae, they get up in your brain, and they'll just start eating at your brain. And it doesn't turn into a worm. It just stays a larvae and just keeps eating your brain, and then you die. And I was like, no wonder she burns every... No, I'm kidding. I was like, man, no wonder she overcooks her meat, and she doesn't like anything, you know, medium well. So I was like, man, that makes perfect sense. Heat. Heat will kill those bad things that could eat at you, that can destroy you. And so just because something looks great doesn't mean it's blessed by the Lord. Just because there's a big house on the hill. In Dallas, we used to drive by these uh, big ranches and they'd say amazing grace. And then other ones would say something else. And I was like, I wonder if everything's really good in that household. Or if they just got those cool verses on the gates of their gigantic ranches. Wonder. I wonder. Saul, it doesn't matter how many people you have. If he was... Call me on the phone, I'd be like, so it doesn't matter how many people you have, 600, 2,000. If God is for you, there's nobody that can be against you. But Saul, if you're disconnected from God, good luck, bro. You're going to need all the people you can get, and guess what? You're going to take them down with you. See, God is looking for spirit. We witnessed last week with Jonathan, two against 30,000. It doesn't matter how many or how strong, but what matters is how big your hearts are and how big your faith is. How big is your heart and how big is your faith? If you place your strength in superficial things, then your strength will be in this Bible study. It'll be in your Bible. It'll be in your music, your Christian music. It'll be in something. 
It won't be in God. It'll be in those things that kind of make you feel good and happy. A new Bible might make you feel good. Oh, man, this new Bible, it's going to, oh, I'm going to get so close to the Lord with it. Because that one's all ratted up, got duct tape on it. It's not close to the Lord. This one is new. It's, it feels like leather. It's not, but it's good. Except my coffee cup, it won't stay. Oh, man, it's going to be awesome. And that new song, oh, man, I'm going to be worshiping God. And I'm going to be reading this new Bible. And uh, I, my walk's going to be amazing. It's like, no, not stuff. Not stuff. You might say, I get close to the Lord when I listen to that CD or listen to that message or sit in a Bible study. No, you don't get close to the Lord when you, when you do all that. I mean, all that's part of it. But how close you get is unaided by anything, right? How close you get is unaided by anything. When we draw close to God, he runs from us. And it's like, no, 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 don't get close to me. Because you're, you're sinning. You're just trying to do things. You're trying to look close to me. I want you to be close to me. I want to draw close to you. So when God draws close to us, or when we draw close to him, he draws close to us. But it's like it's not the way it works when we use CDs and stuff. Now, all that's important to help, but it's not the source. The source is God himself. Look at verse 18. And Saul said to Ahijah, bring the ark of God here, for at that time the ark of God was with the children of Israel. And now it happened while Saul talked to the priest that the noise which was in the camp of the Philistines continued to increase. So Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. So Saul is now calling for the ark. Again, here's this, this crazy, remember when this happened the last time? Oh, we're going to go to battle, let's get the ark and go to battle. It happened with Eli's sons. Wherever the ark went, usually the Israels had victory. And so, except for when we start to use that thing as a lucky rabbit's foot. And so the ark is kind of stashed away there in Israel, but now that Saul needs it, well, it's like this. Saul was, you know, disconnected from God, no quiet time, no communication. There was not any reliance upon God. And now all of a sudden, now that there's hard times and trouble on their horizon, well, let's bring out God. You know, life's not going good. I heard I might get laid off. You know, the car broke down and air conditioning's going out. Kids, they're running crazy. All right, let's get out the Bible. We need God. Well, where, where was he? You had him stashed away somewhere and put him up in the good times? Oh, yeah. He's a bummer, dude. He doesn't let us do what we want to do in the good times. When the money's there, I mean, if I talked to God every day, he wouldn't have let me buy that. Well, that third 62-inch TV to put in the living room so I can have three of them to watch three different programs, even though i got all those little screens on that. I mean, I can watch literally 15 different shows at one time. But if I went to God, he'd have said no to the first one. But times are tough. We need him. Let's break him out. That's what Saul's doing here. Saul is treating spiritual things as tokens of fortune. If you're taking notes, write that down. Treating spiritual things as tokens of fortune. Idolatry is what that is. I remember uh, my great aunt, she had a dashboard Mary. That's what me and my brother used to call her. It just stuck her right on the middle of the dashboard. And we'd sit there and look at it and like, what is that for? For protection, Hito. And Pita, I don't know if you know this, but that's a little bitty statue. What, are you going to throw it in front of somebody and trip them? Or I don't know. Somebody's going to carjack us, you toss it at them and drive off? What, how's that work? No, we pray to the virgin. Ouch. I didn't know that. So we thought, okay, cool. So we'd be driving with her, and she's 70, 80 years old, and we'd have our hands on her. Dear God, please let this work. Let this work. Idolatry. Idolatry, that's what that is. That little statue doesn't protect anyone. Or, Or like the Christian who may have the fish on the back of the car and a radar detector. 
Well, one of them got to go. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It's like you, you, you're either a witness or you're speaking. Just get rid of the fish. Don't give the Christians a bad name. Now, I've done that before. We had a big Calvary sticker on the back. The Venturas were brand new coming here, and I fly onto the freeway. I didn't even see them. And then I get a call from Dave, and he goes, Hey, Pastor Mark, the other day this car cut us off on the freeway. And I was about to say, That jerk. And he was like, And then I looked up and saw a Calvary Chapel sticker. And I was like, Thinking, Well, we'll get our hands on that guy and let him know. And he goes, And then we got up close to your car and looked in, and there you are. And I'm like, Anybody guilty? Fish on the back of the car, do a 90 down the freeway. Just don't have that one finger out the window. It's not good. See, Saul had a priest there that had an ephod. And these, remember last week we talked about that? These divine proceedings were about to take place. They were about to take the umum and thumum out and, and make a decision. And what happens next is, well, Saul says, pack it up, forget it, withdraw your hand. Look at the end of verse 19. Withdraw your hand. Take your hand out of the bag, bro. We ain't doing it. We're just going to call for the ark. We're not going to make a godly decision today. We're not going to do it the way we're supposed to. And so he just takes the ark without knowing God's will or getting God's blessing. How many of us have done that? They just do something without knowing God's will. It might not seem, I mean, it doesn't seem like a big deal. Why, why is it such a big deal to take the ark? I mean, after all, they did it all the time. Their history proves when they took the ark, they would usually win. Well, what's the big deal? That's a spiritual thing. But now we're using those spiritual things as tokens of fortune. Tokens of, oh man, it's going to protect us. It's the same as the dashboard Mary. It doesn't matter what item or artifact that you have. If God's not on your side, you're not going to succeed. If you don't consult with God, and and so many times, so many Christians don't consult with God, and then they, I can't believe this is happening in my life. How did this happen? I mean, it seems spiritual. I mean, yeah, okay, so what? I spent the last of our money on a a $2,000 Bible. I thought it'd make me holier, but now I'm evicted. And so you're like, wow, really? It seems he was desperate to prove himself a good soldier like his son, is what it seems like. He sees what's happening. It was to fulfill his own personal agenda, not really to honor God. And how many times as Christians do we do that? Is You know, we might be sitting somewhere doing something, and all of a sudden we see somebody from church and, oh, get the Bible out. Oh, we got... People from church coming over, put, one of the, put the big one on the coffee table. Open it. Open it to a good verse. No, not that one. Everybody's got John 3.16. Let's do another one. Deuteronomy 25.1. That's a cool one. It's weird, but it's cool. So it was for, to fulfill his own personal agenda. Saul rushes into battle spiritually unprepared. And we tend to do that. Rush into battle spiritually unprepared. Anyone here ever do that? Yeah. We all do it. You know, even if you got a hold of Billy Graham's Bible, you wouldn't learn more from it. You wouldn't lead more people to the Lord. It depends on the heart and the passion of the guy that's doing it uh, than rather than Billy Graham's Bible. It'd be a cool thing to have, but it ain't going to be any more powerful or spiritual than your own Bible. The powers in the words and those words, the way they get power is going into a passionate heart. The way you get power is being connected to the the holy creator of this earth, God himself, living for him day by day. Not just one day, not when you need him, not when times are tough or when you're scared. Look at verse 20. 
Moving right along. Then Saul and all the people who were with him assembled, and they went into the battle. And indeed, every man's sword was against his neighbor. And there was a very great confusion. Moreover, the Hebrews who were there with the Philistines before that time, who went up with them into the camp from the surrounding country, they also joined the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. And likewise, all the men of Israel who had hidden in the mountains of Ephraim, when they had heard of the Philistines heard of the Philistines fled, they also followed hard after them in the battle. And so the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle shifted to Beth Avon. And the men of Israel were distressed that day. Stop right there. Saul and his army moved towards the battlefield. They're joined by the guys who basically deserted. Remember we talked about those guys? They just packed up and left. They're like, oh man, this is scary stuff. Look at all these guys that we've got to go. So they leave. They desert. And then all of a sudden they come back. They were joined by those guys, and they, going, they, they were hidden away in the enemy camp. And so these quitters rejoining show us that Saul's accepting them, taking them back. And this actually may prove and indicate that he was trusting his army and not trusting the Lord. He, he's willing to take back these guys. Remember Jonathan, too, and Saul, 600. If he trusted in the Lord, 600 would be just plenty of guys to do this. Because from the two, all the 30,000 were running because God had caused an earthquake. But yet, so Saul's like, yeah, you know what? Let's go ahead and take these guys back. The more the merrier. Safety in numbers, once again. We need to remember it was not Saul and his army. It was the Lord who'd used Jonathan and his armor bearer. It wasn't Saul and his army, but how dare Saul jump in on this? And we see Saul constantly doing this, drafting in on somebody. And it's the same thing sometimes for Christians. You go meet somebody and like, hey man, um, so are you saved? Oh, well, my grandmother is. Uh, no, Brian, you. Is your grandmother's name you? No, you, are you saved? Well, my, you know, my grandparents are Christians. I remember before I was saved, somebody was like, hey man, are you saved? Are you going to heaven? If you were to die today, where would you go? And I was like, uh, I'm Catholic. I'm trying to draft in on the family, whatever. And we, we have all these weird things that we say and we do. Saul does the same thing. Saul just joined the chase. And a lot of people just join in and, you know, come to church and they just kind of hang out. That's going to do it for me. Oh, yeah, yeah, the Lord's going to look at me. He's going to be like, good job, buddy. You did it today. You went to church. You got to. Man, I like that. That's going to get you in. No, that ain't it. It's not a line on Black Friday. And if you get there earlier, then you get in sooner. It's not that. It's a commitment. It's kind of like being the employee. You got to be committed to show up. You got to know the rules. And so that's the important part here. So Saul just joined the chase. Saul wasted time watching the battle. He failed in seeking the Lord that he had just basically tried to draft in there. And so he followed what others had done. A true leader will know when to act. A true leader will know when to act after seeking God's heart. Are you that person? Are you one of those people that are like, man, Lord, what do you want for my life? Because I can tell you, it may be tough. It may be a hard one. But at the end, it'll be worthwhile. Look at verse 24. And the men of Israel were distressed that day, for Saul had placed the people under oath, saying, Cursed is the man who eats any food until evening before I have taken vengeance on my enemies. So none of the people tasted the food. And so leading by intimidation is what Saul does here. He's going to be that guy. He's going to scare you. And fear is another point of pride. So leading by intimidation and fear are another point of pride if you're taking notes. The spiritual condition of our hearts are not only revealed by our actions, right? Uh, what you do will tell your spiritual conditions. If you like somebody and say, hey, I'm going to be there for you, 
and you show up, you've proven it. But if you say, hey, dude, I really like you. I'll be there for you. And you don't show up, and there's no call, no nothing, then it's like, man, where do I stand? How important am I if you just constantly stand me up? So it's revealed by our actions. Also by the words we speak. Well, what kind of words do you speak? What do you say? Are you encouraging? Are you building up? See, his heart was not right with God, so he forces his army to take a vow. He forces them to take a vow. And that's a fasting until evening. Now you might think, oh man, I go without meals all the time. But try to run around carrying your sword and some armor, chasing some guys up and down hills all day long. I went on a 10-mile hike once without any food, and I thought, man, after about five of those miles, I was ready to eat a tree. I was looking for squirrels. I was like, I'd eat one raw. I was so hungry. My body started craving protein. And so what Saul does is he didn't impose this fast because it was God's will, because God had asked him to do it, but because he wanted the soldiers to think him a man wholly devoted to God. He wanted to look like he was a spiritual guy. That's called religion. I always say that, you know, when people are like, oh, man, you know, you're a pastor. Yeah, man, I'm not that religious. Well, I'm not either. They just kind of look at me like I'm crazy. What do you mean? Like, I'm not religious. I I just have a relationship. I I spend time talking to God, hanging out with God. Oh, you mean like you and God go fishing? Like, yeah, fishing right now. You're the one we're fishing for. What's that mean? Well, it means that if you don't believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, well, let me just ask you this. If you were to die right now, where would you go? That's my favorite thing. Like, I don't know. Ask me where I would go when I'm going home. If I told you I didn't know, would you think I'm crazy? Yeah. And you don't know when you're going to die where you're going? No. Well, let me tell you about this guy named Jesus. He died for you. The other day I had an opportunity to share Jesus with somebody, and I thought, man, how can I do this and make this person understand? So I said, man, there was this one gang, and then there was this other gang. And this dude knew that this one gang was coming after this other gang, his gang. And so he said, you know what? Instead of all of you dying, I'll just die. I'll, I'll go out there and I'll die for the gang. I'll, I'll die for this for our group. And so when I asked this person, this kid this, I said, you think that's a cool thing? He goes, man, that'd be the greatest. I go, well, w- would you be upset if somebody disrespected him? He's like, man, I surely would if he was in my gang. I said, man, that dude's name was Jesus. So we just kind of talked about it and it was related. It's just those little bitty things that you can do to explain to people. And so not to look more spiritual or more holy. I mean, I was scared. I was like, man, I, I don't want to do this, Lord. I, I got stuff I have to do. I want to talk to this kid right now, but I will. And so as I do those things, it's like, hey, you know what? I didn't want this guy to think I was super holy. I didn't do it around a bunch of people and who needs to be saved? Get out of the car and have some Native Americans chasing me down the street. See, it was as if Saul was putting himself and his men under those oaths of unnecessary self-denial. Unnecessary self-denial is what Saul did to his men. It wasn't necessary. And we'll find out why. Look at verse 25. Now all the people of the land came to the forest and there was honey on the ground. And when the people had come into the woods, there was the honey dripping. But no one put his hand to his mouth for the people feared the oath. But Jonathan had not heard his father's charge. And the people with, uh, charged the people with the oath. Therefore, he stretched out the end of his rod that was in his hand, and he dipped it into the honeycomb, and he put his hand to his mouth, and his countenance brightened. So here, Jonathan wasn't there. He didn't hear the oath. So he sees this stuff. He sees the spoils of the enemy. He sticks his staff down into it, brings it up, puts his hand on it, licks it, and he's like, oh, man, I'm feeling good now. i got some energy. And then everybody, and you know the crazy thing? Think about this. There was a bunch of people watching this. Why didn't somebody say, hey, bro, wait a minute. 
Your dad said, if anyone does that, they die. But they're all like, let's watch Jonathan. Isn't that what we do sometimes as Christians? We're like, oh, watch that guy. He's going to get hit by a car. He's going to die. He doesn't know the Lord. He's laid up sick and probably not going to make it. But you know what? It's all right. We ain't going to say anything. (laughs) You should have known better. We do that. We just watch. We're spectators. Verse 28, then one of the people said, after it was done, notice, your father strictly charges the people with an oath, saying, cursed is the man who eats food this day, and the people were faint. But Jonathan said, my father has troubled the land. Look now how my countenance has brightened because I tasted a little of this honey. See, Jonathan is like, man, if we would just quit being religious and denying ourselves these things, our countenance would brighten. Anybody know a religious person? They walk around, they're not the happiest dude. They're, They're kind of bummed out. They're the ones that are constantly, well, that's the Eeyore Christian. Gloom and doom. Got to go to church so I can hear another message. Man, my life's just really stink. You know, I was at the men's retreat last week, and this guy actually stood up and at the testimony part, and, and uh, he goes, you know, Mark Martinez's testimony was the worst testimony I ever heard in my life. And I sat there, and I was just like, man, did that guy just kick me in the head? And I was just like, I didn't even give my testimony. And he was like explaining how after he got saved, life got rough. See, that guy never walked up to ask me what my life was like. All I said is after I got saved, it seemed that the sky was bluer, the trees were greener. It didn't mean the flowers smelled better. I just noticed things. Scales fell off my eyes. I went through one of the worst periods of my life right after I got saved. But I didn't care. I was kind of laughing and I just said, hey man, anything I can do to help, you know, and, and, and move on. But he was one of those gloom and doom Christians until a point in time in his life. And I was like, wow, that's cool. I was happy for him that he had changed. But there are those that are around that life just stinks for them all the time. And they got this book. Well, you know, life's not going good for me. Well, does it say life's supposed to go great for you? Where in here does it say you're supposed to have the best furniture, the biggest house, the nicest job, the coolest car, the most wonderful obeying children... The prettiest wife who works out every day, prepares your meal, sets it on your lap, and you never gain weight. Where does it say that? It doesn't. I mean, chubby people get skinny by working hard to get skinny. I started working out last week, and I gave up. I'd rather be chubby. See, no sensible commander would deny food to his troops for energy while fighting the enemy. We need food to fight the enemy, spiritual food. But yet we tend to deny ourselves of that by not showing up to church, not showing up to Bible studies, not having quiet time, not praying, not discussing the things of the Lord with friends and neighbors. Because, yeah, you can have the food, but if you don't get into action, then, yeah, you're going to look like a chubby guy. Thank you for tuning in again today to Come Alive. Pastor Mark will have much more to teach us from this study of 1 Samuel when you join us next time. If you'd like to hear more messages from Pastor Mark, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast. Just search for Come Alive in your app store or on iTunes. Before our time is through with you today, though, Tracy would like to tell you how you can be a part of the ministry of Come Alive. Come Alive and radio programs like it are powerful tools that God is using to advance His gospel message here on earth. And we know that God is blessing many through the ministry of this broadcast. 
We want to make sure we keep God at the center of what we're doing, and that's where you come in. Would you keep Come Alive, Pastor Mark, and those who have heard this program today in your prayers? Your intercession on our behalf is greatly appreciated. Thanks, Tracy. Another way you can be involved is through financial support. Here at Come Alive, we rely on the kindness of donations to be able to provide you with quality produced programs. We'd like to ask you to prayerfully consider donating and want you to know that any amount is useful and greatly appreciated. Find out more at comealiveradio.com or you can text a donation to Calvary Katie at 77977. That's 77977. Thank you for bringing this matter before the Lord and thank you for being a part of our listening audience today on Come Alive.